Amen. You may be seated. Morning, church. Great to be with you, everybody. Thanks for joining us, everybody online. And uh, today we're going to talk about prayer, how we pray through the Song of Solomon. Before we do that, we're uh, going to give an offering to God. And I just want to, I just want to prep you, man, that, that some things are going to start happening in our church, and you don't want to miss out on it. I mean, this is a season of of real intense discipleship for faithful Christians here at Westwinds. This is a time for you to learn and to grow and, and to. And, and to get away from screens and get back into real life. I mean, I'm glad you guys are watching online. That's awesome. We do all kinds of stuff online specifically so that you can do that, so you can enjoy church in the sheets. And, uh, and for you that are here, man, it, it's time to take the next steps. I mean, there's certain things that you can only experience when you, when you show up. That's the first rule of sales, show up. That's the first rule of falling in love, show up. You, you got to you got to show up for some stuff. And the things that we have planned for you, man, they're not, they're not special things that we should pat ourselves on the back for. No, these are things that are tailored for you so that you can grow in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so, you know, we, uh, Eric talked about Lens Suite. Man, y- you could not go to that. It's a Saturday morning for a couple hours. There's a million things you could do. But you've done them all already. You already mowed your lawn. You're going to mow it again later. You already been to the lake. You know what the lake is like. This is literally the only opportunity you will have in this next 12 months to hear one of Time Magazine's 25 most influential Christian leaders and teachers. And he's going to be here. Like, you're not going to have to go anywhere but here. And, and you know what's crazy is right now we're like, oh, yeah, that's neat. We have that before. We've had that before. Oh, you know what, you guys? It's time for the church to get stirred up. We've had a lot of things before, and we didn't appreciate them. And and now we're getting those things back. And if we fail to appreciate them a second time, if we don't capitalize on the opportunities that God presents to us now, what are we going to have in six months? More boredom? More garbage? No, this is it, man. This is a time for you to rise up out of your lethargy, to rise up out of your sense of confusion, to rise up out of your sense of of frustration and move forward, to move forward. And the stuff that we're doing, you know, table groups and and getting together around the sacrament of communion, let me tell you, man, that, that stuff sucks online. You take communion online? You ever taken communion by yourself while looking at a laptop? It sucks. It sucks terribly. But to be in the house... To be with other believers, to serve one another, to pray together. There is an immaterial connection there that cannot be counterfeited or replicated apart from the body. So I tell you, man, when we start launching small groups again, we start offering classes again, that's not just us getting back to normal. That's us saying, we want to go to a real church. We want to be part of a real church that makes a real difference in the lives of the people around us, and in the lives of the people in our community. I mean, that's what we're here for. We're, we're not here so that we get a little bit smarter. We're here so that the Spirit of God works through us with increasing effectiveness to heal the world in the name of Jesus. It's not just so that we come and do our little churchy things. Churchy things are dumb. 
Jesus things are amazing. Write that down in your book. Roll it up and smoke it. We're here to do something for the good of the world, and, and we've got to get fired up just a little bit. Anyway, I wasn't supposed to say any of that. I'm supposed to just take the offering and then preach a word, but, you know, every now and then I, I like to be a pastor. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, come on, come on, folks. Now, now is the time. Enough's enough. Now it's time for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus because we've been his butt for about 18 months. <laughs> And he's losing his circulation. All right, ushers coming forward. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you for the good things that you are doing in your churches, not just ours, but in other great churches all over the city, all over the world. And together, Lord Jesus, we stand in unison. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect them, that you'd, that you'd sanctify and sacralize their sacred witness to your goodness. And we pray, Lord, for victory in Jesus' name over all the forces of darkness, and oppression and control. We pray, Lord, that the powers of love and faithfulness, of truth and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would penetrate the darkness in the world and especially in that place. And that, Lord, you would be triumphant in and through and with your people. We stand together as your people, as Christian men and women, and we give you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Now, I'm enjoying uh, teaching through the Song of Solomon. I've never, I've never been to a church or heard of a church that's, that's taken the approach that we have over the last few weeks, so that's always fun for me, to realize that you can, you can use and employ and learn from the Scripture in multiple ways on multiple levels at the same time. So the first week we talked about it as an allegory of Christ's love for the church. That's a historical interpretation of the book, really helpful. Second week, we talked about it as romantic or erotic love poetry. That's the most dominant interpretation of the Song of Solomon, even though most people don't talk about that on the Sunday morning because it's weird. Last week, we talked about it as a theater, as a drama, exposing the weakness of control in relationships and how control and expectation dampen the passions and the fires of real love. And today we're going to use it as a prayer book. Now, I think praying the scriptures, any of the scriptures, is one of the most important and formative practices for Christian people as they desire to grow. Because here's what most of us do. We go, okay, it's prayer time. Uh, I'm going to pray for all the people that I know and like. Lord, pray for mom and dad that they have a good day. Lord, pray for my kids that they... Don't turn out to be miserable. Pray for my kittens. You know, we kind of do it like that. And then you go to the next level in your faith and you say, Lord, please help me have wisdom to solve these problems. Please help me have courage in the face of opposition, whatever. But after a while, you don't know what to pray anymore. And you turn your prayers into a kind of echo chamber where it's hard to tell the difference between praying and just talking to yourself while you're going for a drive. To help against this, to defend against it, to move past it, we, we read the words of the Bible and then restate them as our own prayers because we realize that the faith that the people in the Bible had is a little, it's a little different than ours. It's more mature, it's more robust. And once you start praying the scriptures as your own prayers, you begin to realize there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that we should care about that we don't, that we should recognize to which we are blind. 
All kinds of things that God is probably saying to us that we can't hear because we're kind of deaf because we're only tuned into one channel, the channel of our own need or preference or desire or want. So when we pray the scripture, God uses that to open up our hearts to new possibilities, to new realities, to new opportunities. God uses God's word in our lives to make us more godly. And in the Song of Psalms, there are three prayers that we'll look at specifically today. A prayer of hope, a prayer of adoration, and a prayer of passion. So that we can become people of increased faith. Because prayer is how we become more godly. And the funny thing about prayer is that the only way you can really learn how to get better at praying is by praying. So I'm going to introduce you to these three prayers. And then we're going to give you a moment to try them out. We'll turn on some soaking music. You know what that is? It's a instrumental music that creates kind of an aural environment for prayer. I really like it, but it always makes me cry. So just, you know, if you see me do this, don't, don't run up and hug me. I'm fine. I'm, I'm still a boy. I'm just crying, you know. Um, and, then, and then we'll have the words of the scripture being read over top of you as a kind of blessing. But, but what we want is our faith to grow. I, I want you to be better Christians. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more honest. We, we want that for our church. So the first, the prayer of, adder, uh, prayer, pardon me, prayer of hope comes from Song of Solomon chapter 2. Let me just read you an excerpt from it. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. A couple of months ago, I was just flipping through my Bible while sitting in the chapter house. So that's the other charity I run here in town where we train pastors. I'm sitting in there reading my Bible, just praying, listening to soaking music, crying. And I came across these verses. And it was like God was speaking them not only to me about me, but like God was saying them to me about, about our church and about the church at large. The season has changed. Man, that, that old season, that that barren winter, that season of bondage and fatigue, of fruitlessness, that season's over. It, it's, it's done. There's a new season coming. The season of hiding is over and gone. And there's time for a new season. And I just kept thinking about the stuff in my own life that I was ready to be done with. Like I'm, I'm ready to be done grieving my father. I'm ready to be done feeling frustrated that I cannot be in the same room as my mother. I'm ready to be done with my head on a swivel going, how the heck do you pastor a church when you're not allowed to have a church? And who is the idiot that turned me into a televangelist when that's not ever something I signed up for? Like, what? And it's just all this stuff that feels like death and dying. And God was saying, Davey, it's enough, man. The season's changing. And I began to pray this prayer, not only for myself, but for you, for us. Now, I want you to look at this passage of the Bible. And I want you to pick one stanza, you know, one little paragraph. And make that today like your prayer. And I'm going to teach you an ancient method of prayer. You may know it already. It's called Lexio Divina. You don't need to remember the fancy name for it. I'll, I'll teach you how it goes. But it's a simple way to pray the scriptures. So what you do is you, you pick a little tiny little chunk of scripture, like maybe the passage I just read, and you're going to read it to yourself over and over and over again. So you might 
change where the line breaks go so that different parts are emphasized. You might just say it again and again all the way through. But for me, I would read it something like this. The season has changed. The season has changed. The season has changed. And the bondage of your barren winter has ended. Your barren winter has ended. And I just keep going like that over and over and over again so that it kind of soaks into my spirit. And then you start to think about it. That's the next step. You read it, then you think about it. Scripture tells us to meditate on God's word day and night. Meditate just means think about it. Turn it over in your mind. Examine it from different aspects. Ask yourself, what season am I hoping will be done? Like maybe there's a season in your marriage that's been unenjoyable, frustrating, difficult. Maybe it's time for that to be over. But maybe you're in a season where you're really doubting yourself, wondering if you're worthy or worth it, wondering if God can use you at all. Maybe that's the season you're ready to be. Maybe you're bored and you're hoping for a new season. Because what's the season that comes after the winter? Spring. The season of new life. A new life doesn't come all in a rush. No, it comes in glimmers. Blades of grass. The first blossoms and petals. So you start thinking, Lord, what evidence of new life do I see in my own life? So you read the scripture, you think about the scripture, and then you pray it. Lord, please take me into this new season. Lord, I thank you that this winter season is over. And then we're just going to hush a bit. Now, we'll give you a few minutes to do this. And then from the back of the room, somebody will read the scripture over top of you. Don't let that distract you. Just kind of let it lay on top of you so that you can experience the presence of God through praying the scriptures. Paul.
come as you have asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended and the season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up in the high secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. thing about you. When you lift up what's truly in your heart to God and nobody else knows, nobody else has to see, that's when you're telling the truth about yourself to the one person who knows you're right. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? Man, I love that discerning the destiny as it's starting to come out. I got a, a good friend of mine named Nathan. He preached for me while I was on sabbatical, and he studies prayer. He got a grant for it. He's doing some higher education work in it, some research in it, and he, he loves, in particular, this model of prayer that comes from the Benedictines, you know, the Order of St. Benedict. It's a Catholic group of guys who, who are really good at praying. And when I say they're really good at praying, I mean, like, they pray eight hours a day every day, their entire lives. No days off, no vacations. They just pray and pray and pray. They pray the uh, daily hours, the divine hours are sometimes called. So that means every three hours, they pray for one hour. They get up at three o'clock in the morning, they pray till four. Take a little rest, they get up at six, pray for an hour, stop at seven. And my friend Nathan flew over to Italy to spend time in a Benedictine monastery. Got there, he walked for four days to get to the monastery as a way of preparing his heart. And then he gets there, gets, gets checked in, and um, meets all these fellows, most of whom were really young, in their late 20s and early 30s. He said they were the most joyful, uh, 
exuberant group of people, but they had this stability to them, this rootedness um, that made him feel like getting around them like he was a total beginner. And so he gets into their rhythm. He stayed with them for a month, you know, sleep for a little bit, pray for an hour, do some chores for a little bit, pray for an hour. And their chores are, they make beer, which is fantastic. That's the kind of monk I want to be. I would look like Friar Tuck in about five minutes. They'd be like, Dave, are you fasting again? Yeah, it's all liquids. Screw it. Um, so he lives with them for a month, and, and he said, after a while, you just, you're laughing at yourself because you don't know what to pray. Like, even though you're going to pray through the entire Psalter, you know, all 150 Psalms every week, you still, you still got leftover prayer time where you're praying for, you know, moms and dads and wisdom to make directions and um, decisions. And, and he said to the abbot there, he, he said, I get so frustrated not knowing what to pray for. And the abbot very kindly and yet very directly told him, you fail to adore God. Prayer is adoration. Prayer is how you know God, not know about God. Prayer is how you figure out the cadence of God's speech. Prayer is how your heart gets on the same wavelength as God's heart. Prayer is how God makes you more like God. Makes you godly. And once we realize that prayer is, well, it's not about praying. It's about the Father. Then we come to understand that if, if the whole purpose of me praying is not to get stuff or to figure out how to do stuff, but instead to just be with God. Then you start to realize that there's all kinds of stuff that you're missing in your prayer. This is a prayer of adoration from the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 14. See how his hands hold unlimited power, but he never uses it in anger. You know, if prayer is how we become more like God, I sure wish the people who had power understood not to use their power in anger. I got a little bit of power. You got a little bit of power. I would love to inoculate myself against misusing that power in anger. For he is always holy, displaying his glory. His innermost place is a work of art so beautiful and bright. How magnificent and noble is this one covered in majesty. When's the last time you, you prayed and gave voice to or appreciated the majesty of God? Because if you're honest, if I'm honest, um, it wasn't this week. As we fail to adore God. He's steadfast in all he does. His ways are the ways of righteousness based on truth and holiness. None can rival him, but all will be amazed by him. That's spectacular because usually when no one is your equal, the people who are less, they're not amazed by you. They disdain you. They take shots at you. They cheapen you. They disparage you. But our God is so great. Majestic and mighty, powerful, noble, filled with grandeur and splendor that 
even his adversaries bow. What I'd like to do in this next few moments is have you go through these verses, chapter 5, verse 10 to 16, and underline key phrases. Key phrases for you. This is your prayer. So you get to pick whichever ones you want. And I'm going to teach you an acronym for this next method of prayer, and the acronym is quite crude. I apologize for that. It's just um, sometimes acronyms are helpful. They're sticky. So this acronym is to pray using IOUs. The I stands for ignite my desire. So you go through these verses and you underline a phrase that ignites your desire. Like, Lord, I don't really want you like this, but I feel like I should. Lord, I don't really appreciate you like this, but I, I want to, or I want to want to. I want to be the kind of person who wants you like this. So you find a phrase that ignites your desire. The O stands for open my eyes. Lord, I, I don't see your majesty or your splendor or your beauty or your glory, so help me. Make me perceptive and attentive. The U stands for unify our church. The whole world is fractured and broken. Perhaps the most telling testimony possible right now is that the church would be united. Now, that doesn't mean we have to think the exact same thing about everything. But we can be united under one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We can stop turning our guns on each other and instead stand shoulder to shoulder with other Christian and men and women and say, we believe that Christ is the hope of the world. We believe that Jesus is working through his church to bring hope and healing, reconciliation to all people. We believe the mechanism by which the Spirit works is love. Love. We can be united. So you find a sentence in this prayer that speaks to the unity of the church. And then last, the S stands for speak of your love. I mean, here's the thing I'm going to testify. Having seen the goodness of God in my own life, Lord, that you were faithful when I was faithless, here's a sentence. Here's a phrase that reminds me to do that.
my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable, without equal as he stands above all others, outstanding among 10,000. The way he leads me is divine. His leadership, so pure and dignified as he wears his crown of gold. Upon this crown are letters of black written on a background of glory. He sees everything with pure understanding. How beautiful his insights without distortion. His eyes rest upon the fullness of the river of revelation flowing so clean and pure. Looking at his gentle face, I see such fullness of emotion, like a lovely garden where fragrant spices grow. What a man. No one speaks words so anointed as this one. Words that both pierce and heal. Words like lilies dripping with myrrh. See how his hands hold unlimited power, but he never uses it in anger, for he is always holy, displaying his glory. His innermost place is a work of art, so beautiful and bright. How magnificent and noble is this one, covered in majesty. He's steadfast in all he does. His ways are the ways of righteousness, based on truth and holiness. None can rival him, but all will be amazed by him. Most sweet are his kisses, even his whispers of love. He is delightful in every way and perfect from every viewpoint. If you ask me why I love him so, O brides-to-be, it's because there is none like him to me. Everything about him fills me with holy desire. And now he is my beloved, my friend forever. It's a prayer of passion. I love it. I love it. You know, I'm really hoping that this next season in the church, in the global church, and in Westwinds, is a season of intense passion. You remember what Jesus said in the book of Revelation? I wish you were either hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Now, I don't think Jesus is too concerned about the cold. He's going, well, you, you sort of took yourself out of the game. Maybe you're not even really concerned with the things of God. But Jesus seems really concerned with those who are only a little bit hot, tepid, room temperature, and you know, there might be a lot of reasons for it, and maybe it's appropriate to diagnose it, but more important than diagnosing it 
is fixing it. Now, we got a lukewarm church. And I don't want to be part of something cool. Man, I'm in it. My Lord and my King, I am on fire for Jesus. And I want that for you. And I want that for our whole world. I want that for our community. Fire purifies. Fire catalyzes. Fire brings light and heat and safety. And there's some stuff that's got to be burned up. That's got to be consumed. That can be used as fuel for the fires of God. I tell you, what I want in our church is to light things up. To light things up. Jesus said, nobody lights a fire and puts it under a bushel. Come on, church. It's time to burn. And burn brightly. Everything will be consumed. It, meaning the Spirit of God, will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. Man, that's the goal where we get our eyes off of, you know, all the stuff we're doing. It's not a sacrifice to serve the creator of the universe. It's an adventure. It's a romance. So it's not a chore to be part of the kingdom of God. No, man, are you kidding? You are an ambassador of eternity. You have been called, given a new name, a new identity, a new future, a new calling, a new hope. That's not laborious. That's an invitation to wake up and burn bright. We'd like you in this last prayer time to select one line, maybe even just a phrase from this piece of the scripture and make that your prayer and just repeat it over and over and over again to yourself. Could be something simple. Lord, consume me. Lord, consume me. Lord, help me burn brightly. Help me burn brightly. Help me burn brightly. Lord, I yield to you. Whatever it is, you find something in this short bit of the Bible and you make it your prayer and you repeat it over and over again.
Fasten me upon your heart as a seal of fire forevermore. This living, consuming flame will seal you as my prisoner of love. My passion is stronger than the chains of death and the grave. All consuming is the very flashes of fire from the burning heart of God. Place this fierce, unrelenting fire over your entire being. Rivers of pain and persecution will never extinguish this flame. Endless floods will be unable to quench this raging fire that burns within you. Everything will be consumed. It will stop at nothing as you yield everything to this furious fire until it won't even seem to you like a sacrifice anymore. Fasten us on your heart, Father. Make us a seal of fire forevermore. We're going to participate in communion this morning, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And as we're spending time in prayer, there's probably one of those prayers that connected most deeply with you today. Could be a season where you feel like you really needed some hope. And so the idea that that your winter is over gives you optimism, a sense of belief and faith in the future. Well, if that's the case, then we invite you to come to the table of hope and receive the elements of the Lord. Could be that today you realize you, you failed to appreciate or adore God, that you, you've made prayer about getting things or doing things instead of just about being with the Father. If that's the case, then you come and you receive the elements of the Lord's table at the table of adoration. Or it could be that you realize your fire has gone out. You become lukewarm, listless, impotent, passionless. If that's the case, and you're asking God to light a new fire in your spirit, then you come to the table of passion. However you come, you're... You are coming to the table of the one who loved you, who names you, who calls you his own. The bread that symbolizes his broken body will nourish and sustain you, giving you energy for the fight to come. The wine that symbolizes his shed blood will refresh you, slake your thirst for lesser things so that you find your satisfaction and your rejuvenation in Christ Jesus. You come as we sing and worship at the table. with the grace and peace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed. Have a great week.